0: All right, good morning, good evening. Uh, Horticulture 164, I am your instructor, Eric Jones. We're going to view a PowerPoint presentation entitled Environmental Effects of Pesticides. Uh, It was written by Steve Toth and Wayne Bueller, both with NC State, Uh, and the PowerPoint's about pesticides and how, uh, how the environment's infected. So let's go ahead and get started. All right, first of all, what is the environment? The environment, it is everything around us, natural, man-made, and is not limited to the outdoors, but includes indoor areas in which we live and work. It's the schoolhouse that we're in right now. It's in this nice, cool, air-conditioned room, is our environment right now. When we go outside in equipment class or construction class, we're outside in the hot outdoor environment. But the environment is everything that is around us And everything that we are in. How do pesticides affect the environment? One is point source pollution. It's contamination that comes from a specific identifiable place or a point. Includes pesticide spills, wash water from cleanup sites, leaks from storage sites, and improper disposal of pesticides in their containers. So we're going down the street and we see a a lawn care truck that's turned over in a wreck and you've got pesticide leaking all over the place, that's point source. We know where it's coming from. You can visually see it. All right, non-point source pollution. It's contamination that comes from a wide area. We don't really know where it comes from. It can be drift uh, of a pesticide through the atmosphere. It could be uh, leakage into one of our waterways. Or it could be pesticide movement into, into groundwater. Um, somebody could be dumping chemicals uh, upstream from from your uh, from your property. You start seeing dead fish. You start seeing uh, all kind all all sorts of damage. Where is it coming from? Uh, we really don't know. That is your non-point source pollution. All right, sensitive areas. Uh, can include sites or living things that are easily injured by pesticides. These include areas where groundwater is near the surface or easily accessed through wells, sinkholes, and areas near surface waters, oceans, lakes, and streams. Now, don't get me wrong. We can spray pesticides around these bodies of water. There are certain chemicals and pesticides that are designed for that use. That's why we have an aquatic license in addition to our turf and ornamental. But uh, you know, a whole different classification, a whole different another training program uh, to get your aquatic license. other sensitive areas can uh, include schools, playgrounds, nursing homes, hospitals uh, anywhere uh, you know people are susceptible to, uh, to getting sick we need to stay around. Also areas that are uh, contain our livestock uh, we don't want to spray chemicals um, on a beef uh, beef cattle pasture, if we're going to spray a pesticide that's going to harm the cattle and we turn around and sell the beef, uh, we're not doing ourselves any good, are we? More sensitive areas would include habitats of endangered species and other wildlife, honeybees, uh, people that are uh, growing bees. We've got to warn, the, warn those guys, especially in aerial applications, uh, you know, no... Uh, no earlier than 10 days, and uh, I believe it's uh, no later than 24 hours, that we're going to be spraying a chemical to, uh, to warn these guys uh, that the bees may uh, need to be uh, moved off site. Uh, and other areas would include uh, f- uh, food crops and ornamental plants, uh, nursery It's uh, growing trees, container plants, you've got a guy next door that's uh, growing soybeans or uh, whatever and it's a real windy day he sprays something that drifts over knocks out the uh knocks out this guy's crop we've got to take all that uh, into consideration and classify these sites as sensitive areas all right here we have a nice little uh picture of the hydraulic cycle we talked about this in irrigation class quite a bit Uh, but the atmosphere it's an important part of the hydraulic cycle pesticides are going to enter the atmosphere through drift wind wind erosion and evaporation these pesticides can move long distances in the air you know what you spray here in Winston-Salem could end up in Greensboro you never know pesticides then can reach the earth's surface via dry deposition and precipitation so always 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 take into consideration uh, wind you know, everybody's coming up and asking is it too hot to spray today is it too hot to spray today I'm like man yeah it's you know it's hot but why are you even asking that question when we have 20 and you know, 15 20 mile an hour winds You don't need to be spraying anything here we have uh, two examples of long-range movement of long-lived pesticides this this is very, uh, very shocking. But DDT and other organochlorine pesticides were detected in the Arctic and Antarctic fish and mammals. Yeah, DDT was used only in the 60s and 70s, and it's still showing up there today. Taxophene, still transported into the Great Lakes region by winds from the Gulf of Mexico, used on cotton in the south, and it was banned in 1982 they're still finding traces of these pesticides in both the Great Lakes and uh, and the Arctic Circle. Unreal. All right, class, now we actually have a list of pesticides that are are frequently detected in our atmosphere. Uh, Your organochlorine insecticides, your DDT, your dildrin, and your lindane, they were widespread uh, used in the 60s and 70s. In the 60s and 70s and they are resistance uh, to environmental degradation they're, they're not going to break down uh, they're still finding traces of these uh, pesticides uh, your organophosphate insecticides uh, you know they're not long-lived but uh, they're they were heavily used in the past and some of them are still being used today diazinon you know I've used that many a times uh, for ant control uh, customer gets a little ant heels in the yard and you know starts freaking out so you know we had an insecticide that we could use we put that out. Your triazine herbicides or your atrazine heavily used herbicides they're persistent in the environment. And your acetanilide herbicides your alichlor and your metachlor they're used heavily but not as present as the triazine herbicides. Here we have a slide that uh, was produced by the U.S. Geologic Survey in 95. It shows the number of pesticides detected in our air, rain, snow, and fog. Uh, a is your organochlorine insecticides. You know, detected pretty much you know, from the Midwest to the East very heavily, and, uh, and even on the West Coast there. And look at number B, your organophosphorus insecticides, uh, used a little bit less, but uh, still very persistent. Your triazinine and your acetanilide herbicides, used extremely, uh, quite a bit there in the, in the northeast, and then other herbicides just showing up in the U.S., All right, hazards of atmospheric pesticides to humans and the environment. Several ways uh, we, meaning us, and the environment can be hurt um, just through pesticides that remain in our atmosphere. Um, inhalation, you know, guys, we can breathe in this drift, the stuff that's floating around, we can breathe it in. You know, our lungs have the surface area equal to a tennis court, all those little alveoli that it do gas exchange forces. It's taking in that pesticides whenever we breathe in. It can do some, do, do some damage to you. Um, surface waters and groundwater through dry deposition and uh, precipitation. That dry deposition, you know, it's just falling to the earth. Uh, it doesn't need precipitation. It's just falling. Drift gets up there and just drops. Or you could have some drift get some rain, get some rainy days, whatever, and it's bringing down that pesticide with it. Uh, transport of the pesticides uh, f- from a place of where we're spraying the pesticides, and it carries over to sensitive areas. And there can be accumulations of pesticides in our environment, uh, which include our soil, wildlife. Any of our natural resources can be damaged from these accumulation of pesticides. All right, pesticides, they can move in the environment via the soil by two, two methods, uh, erosion and leaching. Erosion uh, is when soil particles are transported by wind and water and the pesticides are attached to soil particles. You've sprayed a site, you've sprayed a uh, agricultural field. You know how dusty they can be. Uh, that pesticide attaches to it. Then the wind comes up, picks up that dust and blows it. Uh, Carrying that dust particles over to your neighbor's lawn, neighbor's ag fields, wherever you're at. It can also erode through water. Uh, You've sprayed a a site, comes a hard rain, that pesticide can be washed off and carried away with the water that's uh, eroding it leaching leaching can uh, can take the pesticides into the soil through cracks and pores It's taking that pesticide down into the ground you, know, you may have only wanted to kill some uh, foliage on top, of the, on top of the ground but there's cracks and crevices whatever we have get a hard rain boom you've got pesticides leaking down into the ground All right, soil normally filters this water from contaminants and pesticides, and uh, you know, prevents a lot of that from moving downward. But soil and pesticide properties, geography, and weather can influence the moving of these pesticides. The pesticides that leach through the soils may reach groundwater, and that's where it becomes a problem. That's where it becomes a problem. You've washed pesticides down into a underground stream that's feeding several families down the down the road well water. You can have a serious problem on your hand. Alright, soil properties that affect leaching. Organic matter is one. Um, If you have a lot of organic matter in your soil, you're not going to have as much leaching as somebody that uh, doesn't have any organic matter. Why is that? Uh, the, The organic matter Uh, is going to bind to the pesticide and it's going to less likely allow it to leach down into our soil. Now if you have a piece of property that has a lot of sand in it, this goes back to soil texture, um, the more sand you have uh, the more likely you're going to lose pesticides uh, into the soil through leaching. Soil acidity, or the pH of your soil, uh, will affect the chemical properties uh, of the pesticides. Uh, If your soil becomes more acidic, having a lower pH, uh, the pesticides are going to bind to the clay particles and is going to allow for leaching into the groundwater. Solubility the ability to dissolve in water the more soluble the pesticide is the more likely it will leach adsorption remember ad ad not ab for absorption but this is adsorption the ability of the pesticide to bind tightly and quickly to organic matter in the soil affects its leaching The greater The ability of the pesticide to attach itself uh, to the organic matter, the less likely it's going to leach into the groundwater. Persistence, how long the pesticide remains in the soil. They degrade primarily by sun, soil microbes, and other chemicals in the soil. And the more persistent it is, the more likely it will reach our groundwater. Rate of application. The higher amount of pesticides we're putting out, the greater chance the pesticide will leach. If we're using the higher rate that's established by our label and labeling, more pesticide we're applying, greater chance of it leaching into the soil. Application method. Uh, If pesticides are applied to growing plants, uh, it'll be absorbed by the plants or broken down by sunlight before reaching the soil. Soil incorporated pesticides are not exposed to sunlight and have the greatest chance of leaching in groundwater. So anytime you know we're doing a turf grass application, we're actually spraying the turf. So that pesticide's less likely to reach groundwater than if we're going out putting down uh, a pesticide on a newly plowed field. Alright, our geography has a lot to do with it. If uh, the top of the ground is close to groundwater, you're gonna have a greater chance of that pesticide hitting that groundwater. Weather, you know, pesticides break down faster in warm, moist soil, therefore less likely to leach. Groundwater, Uh, it's located just beneath the surface of the earth, usually in rock or soil. It is the primary source uh, for 50% of our population and 95% of our rural residents in the United States. Uh, We have a whale. I went and traded it for nothing. Absolutely love it. We live on a farm. We apply pesticides and we've yet to have a problem with it. All right, at least 143 pesticides and 21 of their transformation products have been found in groundwater from every major chemical class however these pesticides are commonly found at low levels in ag areas and seldom exceed the water quality standards that's because farmers practice safety measures these pesticides are also found on golf courses and residential areas Now that's where a lot of these guys, it's not been trained, they're going out putting way too much out, or not needing to do it, and not incorporating an IPM program. So I think we're gonna find more around golf courses and high-end residentials. All right, pesticides that are found most frequently uh, in our groundwater is uh, triazinine, and your uh, acetatilnide. Acetatilinide. Guys, I'm not going to expect you to remember uh, these pesticides. They're on the PowerPoint. You're not going to be tested on this. Um, I don't expect you to remember all these uh, all these uh, chemical names for the pesticides. But these herbicides were used extensively on corn and soybeans in the Midwest. Uh, Another pesticide that we're sampling for extensively is carbamate it's an insecticide Aldicarb, you know trade name Temek not good stuff all right factors that uh, help these pesticides reach groundwater Uh, one is is high pesticide use you're using a lot of it Um, second is uh, high percentage of uh, groundwater being recharged by precipitation, natural rain, or even by irrigation, and high soil permeability, and people that have wells are gonna have troubles if the wells are shallow and if the wells are inadequately sealed up. Uh, Surface waters um, are impacted by pesticides also. Uh, These Waters include streams, lakes, rivers, reservoirs, oceans, uh, any place we like to have fun on, right? And uh, our streams and reservoirs they supply approximately fifty percent of the drinking water in the United States. All right, we're looking at the, the hydraulic cycle or water cycle again, and it says you know pesticides enter the surface waters uh, through runoff. Probably the biggest problem. Uh, wastewater discharges, atmospheric deposition, spills, and through just groundwater. So all that is going to feed in to our uh, to our surface water. Um, Pesticide concentrations in the surface waters, they're going to follow these seasonal patterns of pesticide application and runoff. Alright, low levels of pesticides are widespread in surface waters in the U.S. Herbicides are detected more frequently other than insecticides or fungicides because they are used a whole lot more and uh, some pesticides will exceed the water quality standards during certain seasons but the av- average annual concentrations seldom exceed the standards. You know. Goes back to agricultural when we're having to spray these crops. It's going to be a lot, uh, lot higher concentration than in the non-growing season. All right, pesticides most found, uh, most frequently found in surface waters. Yeah, you know, there's triazanine again, and the old famous 2,4D. You know, they're widely used in agricultural. 2,4D again, used in lawns. Uh, carbofuran and diazonon. They are uh, the most detected insecticides found in surface water, and they're still being used today. All right, pesticides, they can move from the intended target and damage nearby plants, which include agricultural crops, nursery plants, gardens, forests, anything. And the plant injury resulting from the contact with these pesticides is termed phytotoxicity. Now that can be a test question there, phytotoxicity, plant injury resulting from pesticide damage or contact with these pesticides or the inert ingredients in the pesticide formulation. Acute poisoning, these are these are short exposures to a pesticide uh, and our wildlife is very susceptible to this. They can come in contact with a pesticide very quickly and it's over and out for them. Examples are some fish kills uh, that that happened in Louisiana just by pesticide residues that was carried into the waterways by runoff and drift and it killed a bunch of fish in the Mississippi River. Uh, another example is bird kills. Birds will eat vegetation or insects and even pesticide granules. They'll see the pesticide on the ground and they'll eat it and then they can actually uh, be poisoned, uh, especially by the, uh, the pesticide carbofuran a lot of bird kills from that pesticide. Alright, chronic poisoning. This is exposure to non-lethal levels of pesticides over extended periods that's going to hurt the reproductive rate of some wildlife. You know, They're exposed to the pesticide, it's not, it's not killing the, the animal right yet, but it's hurting them in the long run and affecting how they're going to have their young populations of bald eagles uh, were hit widespread by DDT in the fifties and sixties. These compounds and metabolites uh, caused reproductive effects in these birds and and reduction in the use of these organochlorine insecticides in the seventies and early eighties resulted in bringing back these bird populations. Secondary poisoning occurs when animals consume prey that contain pesticide residues and concentrate the pesticide in their bodies bioaccumulation predators become sick after feeding on dead or dying animals poisoned by pesticides these residues move up the food chain plants uh, are eaten by plant feeding animals which in turn are eaten by predators that goes back to us spraying a uh, you're spraying a pasture For certain, uh, uh, well, better yet, i got another example. For years, uh, my father always wanted to bag all the grass clippings that we had. Every crew that went out had a uh, riding, bagging mower. And even the walk-behinds, push mowers, we had baggers for them. We bagged everything. People always, you know, they're they're always, always going to... uh, always be a dispute on whether to bag or whether or not to bag I mean, we had a good reason um, you know we had a lot of you know black angus cows and uh, you know you send out three or four crews that's bringing back a truckload of grass easiest thing for us to do is to feed it feed it to the cattle but we were also extensively involved in lawn care operations where we were applying pesticides and chemicals to turf so certain times of the year and dad knew when this was going on and kept real good track of it when we put out a certain chemical or certain fertilize even we went and uh, we went and feed that grass to the cows you know we were raising these cows for beef cattle and everything so we knew that we could hurt hurt the cows or hurt the humans later down, later down the road that ate the beef by the use of these pesticides so You know, we knew what we were doing and kept track of it, but this is a prime example of secondary poisoning. We could have fed that grass to the cows, not paid any attention, sold them for beef, ended up being on the dinner table for somebody and you know had a had had someone get sick from it. Indirect effects. These are adverse effects caused by the modification or elimination of wildlife habitat or food supply. We see this a lot with the deer population; they're running out of places to live. But herbicides greatly can reduce the food, cover, and nesting site for uh, for wildlife. They need a place to go. They need a place to, to get that meal. Uh, insecticides will reduce insects that serve as food supply for other animals. You know, if we hurt that, you know, the bottom of the totem pole food chain, it runs on up the line will all be hurting. And plant population can be affected by the reduction in population of bees and other plant pollinators. So indirect effects is uh, is how we could either hurt our wildlife or our food supply. And we're not even knowing it, not even knowing that we're doing it. That's, that's the sad thing. All right, here's some terms. Uh, you know, endangered species, any species which is in danger of extinction, ex- extinction throughout all or a significant portion of its range. Threatened species, any species which is likely to become an endangered species within the foreseeable future. An endangered or threatened species of plants and animals protected by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency are under the Federal Endangered Species Act. Do not spray pesticides around these guys. Pesticides, they can hurt your surfaces. They can hurt your concrete. They can hurt your driveway. Everybody has probably seen the yellow fertilize or the yellow spray that people are putting out in the spring for pre-emergent. Got to be careful. That stuff will stain a sidewalk. It'll stain the vinyl siding. Pendimethylam, pre-EM, notorious for uh, leaving yellow residue, surf you know, um, orange, very bright orange, mix that in with your Roundup, and you're spraying a sidewalk, you got some crabgrass or Bermuda grass growing over, you spray that Roundup mixed with Surfland, the pre preem. next thing you know, you got this big orange spot. You get back to the office in the evening, you're getting a phone call from a customer, what's all that orange stain stuff all over my... My sidewalk, well, you're having to send your guys out there with a pressure washer to get that off. You got to be careful. But pesticides can leave a visible deposit on any surface clothes, carpets, walls, anywhere. Be careful. They can corrode metal surfaces, paint on automobiles. We've got pickup trucks at the shop now directly related to putting fertilized bags in the back of them guys getting in from the evening they're not taking a backpack blowing out the the extra little fertilized pieces sweeping them out and then washing the truck it'll it'll, it'll tear them up and then they can short circuit your electrical equipment these little ride on um, spreaders you know you get tired of pushing a fertilized spreader all day uh, so they've actually got these uh, these little guys that you can stand up on and fertilize. They're, you know um, Motor-powered You get in from the evening spreading fertilize all day spreading chemicals And you don't clean that thing You know you have in a month or two you start noticing wires being corroded the metal being w- rubbed raw And it's not cranking and you wonder why? and that you can see that it has short-circuited some wires, some electrical equipment on it. Not working properly, you gotta take care of it. All right, here's some references.